Thank you for joining us today. You are listening to the anointed teaching of Prophet Grace Scales, where we experience the presence of the Lord as we explore His Word. Now let's dive in and enjoy today's teaching. Greetings in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is Grace Scales coming to you once again from Joliet, Illinois. And I am so glad and I am so thankful to be back, back with you again. Though we started a series earlier on the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to devote a couple of episodes to the topic, the fear of the Lord. In the present time in which we're living, it is a needed topic of discussion for believers as well as non-believers alike. When God made man, he didn't tell him to go study animals, birds, and fish to know how to act and to survive in life. He made man in his image. He made man with a complex mind and intellect and to have reasoning ability. Then he blessed man. He blessed them, male and female, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it, to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And we see that in Genesis 1 verse 28. We're also told in Psalm 1, 11 and 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. And Proverbs 1 and 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Neither of these verses tell us to be afraid or to be fearful that we cannot walk in the dominion in which God our Father has instructed us to walk, but to fear the Lord. In fact, John 14 and 26, uh, we read that Jesus himself tells us that we will have a helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. That's who is Jesus, of course, his son. He will teach us and he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that he, Jesus, said to you. So when Jesus came into the earth realm, he gave his life on the cross and rose from the grave. He sent the Holy Spirit to teach us all things. The Father gave the creatures of the earth instincts, but he gave man intellect and the gift of the Holy Spirit to rule and to be able to dominate his kingdom here in the earth realm. Of whom shall we be afraid except the Lord himself? Certainly not the creatures and definitely not man. According to Jeremiah, Jeremiah uh, does more than just describe the symptoms of fear of man. He helps us to understand what it really means to fear man. Jeremiah tells us in 17 and 5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. The fear of man is not only fearing what others might think, say, or do, but in trusting ourselves to them instead of to of to God and all he is for us in Christ Jesus. The fear of man is about ultimate allegiances. Do we hide ourselves in the grace and help of God or in the praise and the approval of people? 
During Jeremiah's lifetime, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been conquered and captured by Assyria, and Babylon was rising like a storm cloud over Judah. Even though God's people were faced with undeniable and horrific destruction, they did not run to God, but they went to man. Regardless of the number of times that God had rescued his people, delivered them, and prevailed through them, they trusted in meager men with horses and chariots still. And we see that in Jeremiah 12 and 5. And the heart that turns to men cannot also turn to God. Those who fear men land in a desert filled with fear. But those who trust in God wake up along streams of confidence to go forth and have dominion. Looking directly now at Psalm 32 and 10, we have this assurance. We're told that many are the sorrows of the wicked, the untrusting, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. In the Strong's Concordance, Fear is referenced uh, in the scripture nearly 600 times. You can look that up. Uh, it, it's used at least 300 times in the New Testament alone in a positive way. So we'd like to ask the question right here. What is fear? By definition, it is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous likely to cause pain or a threat, the likelihood of something unwelcome happening. Example, she could observe the other guests without too much fear of attracting attention. And it could be a feeling of anxiety concerning the outcome of something or the safety and well-being of someone, such as police launched a search for the family amid fears for their safety. And then again, there's terror, fright, fearfulness, horror, alarm, panic, agitation, trepidation, etc. Those are just a few definitions of the word fear. Now, anxiety caused by approaching danger. That's that's another um definition of fear. Now let's look deeper into some of the things that anxiety cause or can cause by approaching danger that it can bring up. One thing is disobedience. Genesis 3, 1 through 10 reads, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave 
some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they did hide themselves, and they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man. He said, Where are you? Of course, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And we look at this and we can see that according to one interpretation, the verse shows that Adam confesses his nakedness, which was evident, but makes no mention of his sin. He wished rather to hide his sin, feeling the shameful effects of it, but yet not being penitent for it. When God asked Adam, where art thou? The Lord was stimulating thoughts in Adam's mind. When he heard God's voice, Adam instantaneously thought, what am I doing? I should be right by his side, fellowshipping with him. Now look at me, fearful and hiding amongst the trees. I've severed my relationship with him instead. And because nothing is hid from God's eyesight, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good uh, we see in Proverbs 15 and 3. God, in his omniscience, knew exactly where Adam was hiding and why he was hiding there. By asking Adam, where art thou? The Lord is bringing Adam to the place of accountability. Adam is forced to confess that he is hiding from God because he has blatantly disobeyed God's commandment. He has eaten the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, as any sinner does, he hides from the holy God of creation. Now, Psalm 110 and 11 says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding of all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. And, and as we read, Proverbs 1 and 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So Adam was hiding. He was fearful of the Lord. But he knew he had done wrong, so he was hiding in his disobedience. He knew he had done wrong. Another thing that happens when we get anxious and anxiety can set in is impending judgment can happen. We are afraid. We get anxious about some impending judgment. Hebrews 11 and 7 says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. The faith of Noah was based on God's warning that he was going to destroy the world with a flood. When God first spoke to Noah about the building of the ark over a hundred years before the flood, there was no sign that such a catastrophe would take place. For a full century, events on earth, they would continue as they were, with evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse. A flood had never been experienced up to that point by mankind, as some believe. In fact, there's some reason to believe there, there had never been rainfall up to that time. 
We can look at Genesis 2, 5 through 6 and get an explanation for that. But Noah was mindful of the word of God because God had spoken and warned of things not yet seen. That was sufficient evidence for Noah to act upon. He believed God. He moved with godly fear and he built an ark, even though he was considerable distance from any kind of navigable waters. Doubtless, he was the butt of many jokes and much persecution as he prepared the ark to the saving of his house and the condemnation of the world. The majority of people simply refused to believe his witness concerning the coming flood. Yet, in bold faith, he went on working and witnessing building the ark, and warning of judgment to come. He didn't slow down. He kept right on doing what God had asked him to do. Then, as a final act of faith, Noah stepped into the ark, and those who believed stepped in with him. His witness, which might have been unto life, proved to be unto death for many. He had demonstrated saving faith to an unbelieving generation, thus leaving that generation without excuse. Not only had salvation been provided and proclaimed, but saving faith had been demonstrated. Those who persisted in unbelief were thus justly condemned. What a warning to the Hebrews who were drawing back from a total commitment to Jesus Christ. Even more importantly, Noah was marked as a child of God, for he feared God, and he became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. And we see that in Hebrews 11, 7, and 9. And then finally, we'll give one final example here of what happens when we get anxious. We can suffer persecution. And that can cause anxiety. This verse describes an event where Jesus appeared to his disciples in John 20 and 19. And it says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, peace be unto you. One thing we must come to realize is that persecution will come whether it's warranted or not. Sometimes we will be persecuted by those who we think are supposed to help us. Other times it may come from someone we don't even know just because of our beliefs or a difference in opinion while exercising our gift of free will. Sometimes it might even be something that's the result of our own doing, but be certain it will come because Jesus said it would. Jesus gives us a synopsis of what to expect in Matthew 10, 16 through 25, starting at verse 16 and forward. It says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother, 
will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now, looking at this, we see that the opposition of the Pharisees would be like they were like raving wolves. Uh, the disciples, their only hope would be to look to their shepherd for protection. We may face some hostility. We're told, just like the disciples, to keep a positive attitude and to be sensible and to use prudence, but never be gullible. We need to have balance between wisdom and vulnerability to accomplish the work of God and to establish his kingdom in the earth realm. Now, the disciples experienced within and without government courts they experienced persecution. They experienced persecution through friends and family and as a result of doing the work of God. But just as they did, it comes with an opportunity to tell the good news of salvation. Jesus told the disciples that when they were persecuted for preaching and presenting the kingdom of God, they should not worry about what say in defense of themselves that God's spirit would speak through them. So uh, some uh, to this day think that this means that we don't have to prepare to present the gospel because God will take care of everything. But the word of God clearly teaches us that we're to make carefully prepared, thoughtful statements according to Colossians 4 and 6. He did not tell them then, and he hasn't told us now to stop preparing, but to stop worrying and being fearful. The Pharisees accused Jesus of using Beelzebub's power to cast out devils, as we see in Matthew 12 and 24. God is sometimes labeled, labeled evil. If Jesus, who is perfect, was called evil, his followers can expect that similar accusations are going to be directed at them today, but those who endure will be vindicated according to Matthew 10 and 22. The Lord tells us in Isaiah 41 and 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, all believers are God's chosen people and share the responsibility of representing him to the world. God will one day bring all his faithful people together. We need not fear because, number one, God's presence is with us. Number two, God has established a relationship with us as we establish a relationship with him. And number three, God's assurance of strength and help and victory over sin and death is certain. In their joint article, Holy Spirit Led, W.R. and Arlene Lucci state the following, and I quote, 
Keep in mind, when you are led by the Holy Spirit, everything that the Lord God allows to happen in our life is for a reason and his purpose. When you are able to see that purpose, you will know you are certainly or you are definitely maturing in the Lord God's kingdom. All things may not seem good in the moment, but they are ultimately for the good of his citizens. That should give you peace. Unquote. For me, it, that does give me peace. Now, we're going to stop right here and we'll pick up with some of the God-fearing characteristics of the fear of the Lord in our next episode. It's my prayer that you've gained new or some refreshed insight relating to the fear of the Lord. We look forward to our next episode. But until then, may the blessings of the Lord overtake you and bring you peace. You have been listening to Prophet Grayscales of Grayscales Ministries, where you grow as you balance life by the sword of the Spirit. We are honored you chose to join us today and pray you have received a blessing from the Lord during this message. We look forward to your presence again next week for more teaching. Until then, please take an opportunity to share this message with others. You are welcome to share your comments or contact me at graceadls@outlook.com. at outlook.com. Remember to keep comments respectful.